0: I'm Christy Gupton, and I'm an employee benefits advisor. Welcome to Healthcare Solutions, a podcast where we explore innovations in healthcare, cost containment strategies, and employee well-being. We'll discuss every way possible to turn our healthcare system back into the kind of environment where patient care comes first and costs go down as a result. I invite you to join me to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Doug Aldean is an ERISA attorney who spends an awful lot of time defending the people who are just asking to be billed fairly for health care services. Whether it's an employer needing help, striking a direct contract with a provider in their neck of the woods, or if it's an employee who's being billed in a predatory fashion, Doug is your ally. Based in Austin, Texas, Doug runs swims and loves a good plate of Mexican cuisine. In his bio, he professes his strong belief in God. I think that's why he's called to stand up for the underdog. Let's face it. It's a very Christ-like thing to do. Enjoy today's conversation with ERISA attorney extraordinaire, Doug Aldine. Okay. Thanks Doug Aldine, for joining me today on healthcare, um, solutions. This is exciting. We have a lot of great things to talk about because employers are at the cusp of of you know going one way or the other they're either going to go into a successful strategy for their health plan or they're going to backslide even more and be really sorry (laughs) that they didn't listen to you so i'm so glad i'm bringing you uh to the the people who listen to my podcast and i hope there's a lot of employers out there uh that are um uh, you know really tuning in and turning their volume up so Uh, First, before I say anything, Doug, tell us about your background and what brought you to this point. I know you kind of ended up in this space sort of by accident.
1: Absolutely. So I actually started out, been a lawyer for 28 years, been in healthcare 24, since 97. Uh, But I started out in the provider-sponsored HMO world in Champaign-Urbana, which is my hometown. Uh, And spent 10 years inside health systems, both in Champaign-Urbana and in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, as a lawyer, and started my own law firm in '07. and back then, pre-ACA, nobody's paying attention to self-funding, and at one point, I represented all the repricing companies, Amps, Elap, Global Excel, and Ethicure Advisors. I mean, just a r- remarkable serendipity. Sure.
0: neat. Well, that experience is coming full circle today, because, Um, you know, we're we're starting into this era where every, every, at least everyone needs to start asking what is the price of this service of this procedure of these labs of this, whatever the the um, need of the day is People need to start asking what is the price and um, You know, so Let's talk about individuals first. We're going to spend most of our time talking about health plans uh, through employers, but just for the individuals out there, I know that um, being, a, you know, maybe even a cash pay patient, maybe they're uninsured, they need a way a uh, uh, you know, maybe like an instruction manual. How do they advocate for themselves and make sure they're not on the cusp of bankruptcy just because they had to go to the hospital for something and you know flavor that even in the age of covid because if someone's going to the hospital because they're having covid symptoms they end up being admitted and they come out of that ordeal with bankrupting kinds of bills they need to know what to do about it
1: Mm -hmm. that's a great question so i think the biggest underreported, underutilized component is the financial assistance policy. If you're uninsured, so if you look at any hospital's financial assistance policies, seven times out of 10, they're going to provide for both uninsured and underinsured patients. Okay. And when you start looking at those particular guidelines, you start looking at your level of income, different things because remember hospitals have the ability to set those financial assistance policies however they want and in many cases hospitals are the judge jury and executioner so if you don't get the financial assistance what are you gonna do if they deny it I mean who else are you gonna call there's nobody else to call but I, I think that, you know if you're uninsured the first thing I would look at is I would pre-qualify myself for financial assistance why pay for something if you don't have to I mean, you're a charitable organization They're not for profit, that's their mission. Um, And I I can tell you that a majority of people, when you start looking at the size of the bills, their level of income, they're gonna qualify for financial assistance either in whole or in part. I mean, it's a great place to start.
0: And let's not forget the great um, uh, gift that Al Lewis gave us, right? In that little wallet card that basically says I agree to pay this, and it's 200% of Medicare. And then even if you need to um, ask the nurse that's triaging you in the emergency room to print out the financial documents before you sign it and, and alter that language if you need to. I mean, if you're conscious and you're able to ask these questions, <laughs> you really should say, time timeout, uh, before I sign anything, uh please let me you know either either take this little wallet card i have uh and and i'll post this in the show notes to the podcast this the uh, link to this wallet card that al lewis from quizify uh came up with right. which is a genius um move on his part and to give it away to americans for free is is um you know paramount to like Jonas Salk creating the polio virus for free, I mean, creating the polio vaccine for free, right? This is a major thing and I wanna post it and make sure people can use it. But the premise is if you're in an urgent need of getting healthcare and you're having laptop or or iPads, you know, tablets with um, a financial contract shoved in your face, you need to advocate for yourself at that point or, or there might not be any, any turning back if you don't.
1: That's correct. And so the genius of of Al's card is this, is at 200% of Medicare, which is an incredibly reasonable value, a reasonable level of reimbursement for services, because you're out of network. There is no contract. So there's there's no meeting of the minds. There's nobody's agreed on anything. But you're telling them, listen, I'm happy to pay this, which is something which is completely defensible. So. If the proverbial crap hits the fan, you're in small claims court, you're getting collection letters, Vinny and Guido are showing up at your house. You've got something you can defend. Happy to pay you an incredibly fair level of reimbursement. And I don't think there's a judge in this country that would disagree. I truly don't.
0: I sure hope not. If they did, um, heaven help them. Well, yeah, good. Thank you for let's, you know, um, Let's just say to all the individuals out there, do a little homework. Print out this 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 little wallet card. Keep it and carry it around with you. And um, if you're able, if you're conscious <laughs> and you're in the emergency Exactly. Not in
1: pain, not screaming. It's not your daughter with a broken leg and it's DEF CON 5. Exactly. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, let's turn our attention to health plans. I really want to get this off my chest about fiduciaries. So in season one of healthcare solutions, um, I think it was maybe episode eight and nine, uh, somewhere around there, I interviewed uh, Mark Watson, and Kent Thomas. So Mark Watson is now the county manager of Union County, North Carolina. But when he was the HR director at Union County, North Carolina, he was one of the um, trailblazers uh, in the employer space that added direct primary care and it was a huge success but he did it because he had to and he said on my podcast he said the county commissioners my superiors <laughs> the people that I report to they made themselves very clear that they wanted me to get a handle on health care costs so right the thing is I don't see many of his contemporaries and his peers acting that way. And I want to know why. So where are the true fiduciaries? Why aren't more of them taking that duty seriously?
1: Here's what I think. I think with the transparency laws or regulations that were recently enacted, and you start looking at the information that is now starting to see the light of day so that my I've got a good friend Leo Wisznowski Wysen- up in Philadelphia who runs a company called Health Cost Labs and what he's what he's been extracting is you take let's just take the state of New York Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield you can take two facilities for say a spinal fusion surgery within 20 miles of each other there's a $50,000 difference
0: yeah i've seen it not
1: five yeah okay so my point is this, is that I think when this information is now starting to see the light of day, I mean, it's going to, for, it's forcing the issue. It's forcing it because if you're going to the hospital for $50,000 more, I mean, it's it's a problem. Yeah. And, and And I think that as more of this information comes to light and people start connecting the dots, if you will, I mean, it really is going to force the issue. I think, honestly we're two to three years away from healthcare spend being just like a 401k. I mean, people have, people litigate those issues in the 401k world all the time. I and know. I think it's going to be exact. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the most frustrating thing is because ERISA, you know, <laughs> it's the same law, <clears throat> excuse me, that sends fiduciaries uh, to court being, you know, sued by the plan members. And right. Same law. It governs the health plan side too, um, so like I'm 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 sorry I jumped ahead of myself, but on the 401k side, on the retirement plan side, they're very heavy-handed with their um, rulings against the the fiduciaries, and if they have been derelict in that duty, they pay the price. So why is the law? Um, you know, handed out so unevenly on the health plan side. It seems like those fiduciaries get a, get a pass, um, and maybe. Well, here's what I, to see that I
1: think. Honestly, Christy, I, I think it's because there's really there's a market in the 401k world. There's a transparent market for services, what they cost, how does it work. There's disclosure. There's all of those things that happen in a normal business environment. In healthcare, that's never been the case. But as these transparency requirements are working their way through the system. That's exactly what it's going to be. Just flash forward, you know, a number of years, and that, that's exactly what's going to happen,
0: so I in guess, my view. Yeah, I guess the, the, um, the conclusion to come to from that is that those that have been delegating their fiduciary duty to a carrier up to this point better really start yeah. to um, get serious, don't you think?
1: Yeah, because- I think like today. So even though those rules, you know, don't really start until next year. I would start today.
0: <laughs> right. Because I mean, that's
1: another what 340 days left of the year. I mean, why wait? Yeah, right.
0: I agree. Um, so you know when it it comes to hospitals and that relationship between the, the hospital and their insurer or their third-party administrator and how they're paying those claims, um, you've you've got to start looking at the, you know, looking at those charges down to the penny to make sure um, that a word I learned on another podcast you were interviewed on turbocharging, is is yes. not happening. And so these tools are, are gonna have to start bubbling up that allow the, the plan sponsor this um, maneuverability within within their plan to say, oh, no, wait a minute, a $30,000 CT, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't square with what we know um, a CT costs. You know, So like my buddy Carl Schussler, who's gonna come and talk um, on this podcast uh, later this season as a sequel to the one we recorded in the first season. Boy, does he yeah. have great stories to tell about what he found in the claims data at you know um, a new client of his. So anyway, I, I just think that that's, that's an important place to start to go ahead and forecast what, things, what needs to happen when these um, numbers and when this knowledge starts to come out.
1: Exactly. Because think about this. I mean, coming out of COVID, if you're a CFO, your sole job is preservation of P&L. And what is the biggest meat pitch on the planet? It's your healthcare spend. I mean, hire Christy Gupton, hire Carl Schusler, people who actually know what they're doing and can go in and actually substantially save, not only save you money, but you can reinvest in your company, reinvest in your employees, all the good things that normal businesses do. I mean, it it literally is a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. So, okay, we've already touched a little bit on the transparency bill, and people are really all kind of hyped up about it. I already had a a journalist um, call me even, it was probably a month ago, and I was pretty, I guess, mellow about it at that time. I, I hated to pour... You know water on her fire because <laughs> she was all excited about the thing but i just kept thinking to myself hospitals are going to find a way out of this so am i being mm-hmm. too optimistic or is there real is there a real reason to be hopeful
1: well let's talk about it in two ways so if you look at it the fine itself is 109000 and some change. So if you don't comply, if you literally do nothing, you're going to pay a $109,000 fine on an annual basis. So there's there's one school of thought, which is, you know, it's probably just cheaper and better to not comply. We can continue to fight because, you know, $109,000 is a drop in the bucket for these systems. Right. Um, now, on the other hand, you know, if you're not complying and you're continually not complying, does that cause you to lose certification with Medicare? I mean, wh- what does that do with your biggest payer? Right. You know, and that to me is the 900 pound gorilla. That's going to drive a lot of change because I mean, look, at a lot of these systems, I mean, Medicare could be 40 to 50% of, of your revenue. Yeah. Approximately. Yeah. You
0: no, know, I remember I was at this, this seminar one time and this operations guy from a, a local hospital was the presenter. And I was just in the audience learning. And it was way back in the day when value-based payments from Medicare was the big topic of the day. So this was, gosh, it had to have been four years ago or more. And you know, he spent the hour talking about how much effort they're putting as a as an organization had this hospital was putting all this effort into um, Improving outcomes and doing all the things that Medicare wanted them to do so that their reimbursements would be higher Right. And so it came time to answer ask and answer questions. So I raise my hand and they give me the mic and I say, you know I I thank you for your presentation, but All I have heard out of you people for years is that Medicare doesn't even cover your costs. So why are you so hard to get something that doesn't even cover your costs? And there was this awkward silence for a couple seconds where he didn't really want to answer my question. (laughs) But he basically said, we just think that Medicare just expects us to deal with it and to work it out. Is that a reasonable answer? And and let's, add, and let's answer no. the question, does Medicare actually cover the costs and they just don't want us to know it?
1: Well, let's talk about the, that in detail. So Medicare reimburses in the aggregate. So over the course of a year, Medicare Based on the numbers that the hospital provides, whatever actuarial analysis that the folks go through, Medicare is going to pay you, you know, a seven to nine percent margin, okay? But it, you know, Medicare does not pay on a claim by claim basis. So you you could have one claim, you know, where maybe you're underwater, but in the grand scheme of things, over the course of a year, Medicare is going to make you whole plus a certain percentage, whatever that may be. Now, there is something, what's called a Medicare payment to cost report, and you can look at, this is all available online, you can go find it, um, what, at what percentage of Medicare covers what percent of their costs. And so when you're looking at direct contracts, you can say like, for example, um, a facility in South Carolina, 160% of Medicare covers 140% of their costs, based on information the hospital submits to CMS. That's that conversation a- literally wow. took 12 minutes 12 minutes. That's great. We can live with that.
0: Hey, that's not a bad profit for whatever. Procedure yeah. was. Exactly. I mean, a whole lot of us out in the private sector doing much less volume in revenue would love that kind of margin.
1: Exactly. But um, again, they pay on, on, on an aggregate basis, not on a claim by claim basis, which is why, you know, some of the different repricers had issues is if you're repricing claims at 120 or 130% of Medicare, those particular claims, you know, the hospital's upside down. And it's it's a guaranteed non-starter trying to get it resolved. It's just, it's just not going to go anywhere. So when you're setting your level of reimbursement, you want to look at, you know, what's a really fair level of reimbursement consistent with the hospital's financials. And you can start there and then negotiate, but, you know, you can find something that's, both parties can live with.
0: I think that is the case too. And, you know, even in my own community, um, we do, we have a mammoth hospital. There is no competition. Um, and it's atrium, uh, you know, atrium. Yep. Um, and I just have always been of this belief that if parties came together and just said, how can we support each other? You still end up coming up with a, a nice, mutually agreed upon um, exchange, right? A, a willing right. buyer and a willing seller. That's um, right. that's just the important part of this sort of transaction with each other. And I always think that it's smarter when the employer drives the conversation. Sure, I could come to the table first and say I'd like to bring, you know, my two my, my two interests to the table here, my client, and then you, Mr. H- Mr. Or Mrs. Hospital. Um, but that rarely, works. <laughs> that rarely works because, um, you know, they, they don't ever want to hear from me, but I think if the employer comes to the table, that's when real conversation starts to happen.
1: Absolutely. Without, I mean, so employers are going to have to drive the whole conversation because they're ultimately the ones paying the bills. Um, but. But if you if you can start the conversation with a certain level of transparency, a certain level of of data, where you can be intelligent as opposed to just throwing darts in the dark, it, I mean, it takes both parties to work. But at least you can start being somewhat informed.
0: Sure. Um. I want to talk about direct primary care too, because um, anyone okay. who knows me knows that I love that uh, almost more than life <laughs> it's just a this just a wonderful dynamic that um has emerged and i'm so thankful that uh this this kind of trend is growing um and and certainly covid um it it showed us that this model is sustainable even in crisis right oh yeah because traditional for service primary care um you know they crumbled underneath their own weight but direct primary care doctors just thrived in that environment and came out um you know stronger than ever so i want to play out this scenario and you tell me how um you think that a a great attorney like you with your background and your skills could come in and sort of enhance and make it better but let's just say a direct primary care doctor settles in a community and they hang their shingle and they open their doors. And yeah. the, the logical thing is the first customers, the first patients in the door are the uninsured. They're, they're the ones that, that come in first. So the other thing that's logical is that at some point those patients need um, a little more than primary care. You know, maybe they need to be referred to a specialist, maybe they need a surgery, maybe they need imaging um so a referral needs to happen the dpc doctor is going to pick up the phone and call across town let's just say it, it is uh, an imaging study that they need they're going to call okay. the down at the at the independent ambulatory radiology center and they're going to say i have this patient here's what we need and oh by the way um what would you accept if they pay cash and that's a very important sentence that needs to be said exactly like that too. Don't you agree? Instead of saying, what would you charge? Never ever use that word. Don't don't ever ask, what will you charge? Always say it like, Well think
1: about it and I'm, I'm going to stop you right there, Kristen. Think about this. If you let me set the price, I'll give you a 99% discount all day long.
0: Right. So that's why, yeah. that's why anyone who's asking for a price should eliminate the word charge from their vocabulary. Because right. the mental gymnastics that the person on the other end of the line goes through takes them to the top of the heap when you, when you use the word charge. But if you'll say it exactly. like, what would you accept if they pay cash? And then the mental exactly. gymnastics they do in that scenario, it makes them think, oh, cash, that means I get paid now, not right. 180 days. And right, so the
1: and then negotiating off whatever it was from that top, yeah.
0: Right, automatically the price comes down drastically. So that that act right there planted a very important seed between that DPC doctor and that um, at sort of advanced provider. Um, and I think that that is sort of the, the, the starting point for a great um, direct contract it's nice and well-rounded, you know, that includes many, many services, not just an imaging study, but you know, maybe the whole litany of services that they can negotiate with each other on a cash-based price. So, if someone's already planted the seed, can't you see how an employer might swoop in and um, create an avenue where where someone like you can? Um, you know, make it official, make it legal, make it contractual and set everyone up for success. Can you expand on absolutely. that?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, setting up, setting up a direct contract either on a professional or a facility-based contract is pretty straightforward. Um, and like you said, I mean, if you've got, you know, two willing parties that, you know, want to get to the right spot, that's mutually beneficial. I mean, great things can happen. So, I mean, I, I do a lot of it, and and you got to have two. You got to have two willing parties. And so, when you start looking at the landscape, why do a lot of these hospital systems buy up doctors because they they control the whole thing? And so, you know, to be a doctor, I mean, if I was in that boat, I would want to be an independent person because that way you're driving your own ship and you're not you're not having to you know cower to a health system.
0: I know. I, I can, I can totally see how. What we know today about suicide rates in doctors that you know sort of lead every industry in this country, which is very tragic, by the way. Um, yeah, it is. It happens. Well, let's just say they moved into that top spot, that unenviable top spot, and uh, that particular. Tragic statistic, um, post ACA, and I don't know, think that's by accident. Do you? No. Because what no, when you
1: start looking at, yeah,
0: what happened? I do think about it. I mean, it gave those hospitals the license to steal, basically. It did. And so you know, I just I feel like I really want to see direct primary care grow. Of course. Because I've been on record saying that, you know, that is the, the, the smartest um, cost containment strategy. And if you get it in place first, everywhere that you can, so right. many other things just fall into place by default. Stay tuned next time for more of our conversation. Thank you for joining our important discussion as we attempt to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Please subscribe to our podcast and let us know what you think. For more information on the work we do at Custom Benefit Solutions, visit our website at www.custombenefits.org.